Welcome to episode number 16 of the Four Animals for Earth podcast. Today is part one of a two-part series in which I'm interviewing Amy in Falmouth, Kentucky. Amy is a wildlife rehabilitator who lives off the grid on her farm. She has a background in both education and environmental science, and I think that really comes through everything that she does. Her website at Fox Run Environmental Education Center is a wealth of information, not only about wildlife, but about sustainable agriculture, alternative energy, and a plethora of interesting topics. What I love about the way she approaches teaching wildlife or teaching about wildlife is that she brings a humane angle. So she doesn't only talk about um, the science kind of behind like the physical makeup of the animal, but she also gives us a feel for emotions and different things that make them a lot like us, like she does this for possums, raccoons, even snakes. So she teaches this in a way that makes it kind of impossible not to feel compassion, which is the simple idea that she leaves with us today. She asks us to pause and lead with compassion when we see a wild animal. And she'll tell us more about why she chose that in the episode. To give you a quick breakdown of the two episodes, today we're going to talk about an app called Animal Help Now. And we're going to talk about what to do if we see a turtle working its way trying to cross the road and what to do if we find a stray cat in our neighborhood. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about what to do if we find raccoons or other wildlife in our backyard, um, like a coyote, if we see a coyote wandering our streets, or even a baby deer, if we see a bird that has fallen from a nest. Uh, And then after the episode, I squeezed in one more question, which was, What's the best, most humane way to handle if we find mice in our house? So if you want to read that, that's in the show notes. So you can find uh, links and um, you know the drill, everything important in the show notes. Those are at fouranimalsforearth.com slash podcast slash 16. Hi there, this is Brandy, and you're listening to the Four Animals for Earth podcast. This is a space where we inspire each other to take small steps every day to live a more conscious life, helping animals and the planet while we do it. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's all take a deep breath and let's get started. So, Amy, can you paint for us what it looks like where you are? Are you near the mountains? Is it flat where you are? Um, It's rolling hills where I am. I am in rural central Kentucky. So I'm south of Cincinnati, Ohio, and north of Lexington, Kentucky. So I'm uh, kind of in a foothills, uh, rolling hills area. That sounds beautiful. Is it a really beautiful place to live? I think so. Yeah, I love it. And uh, my farm is absolutely beautiful. I have uh, some rolling uh, hills of my fields. I have a creek that runs through with woods on either side of the creek and a large farm pond. And I'm on a gravel dirt road. And the road is a dead end. So um, I really feel very secluded and it's just 
you know, it's wonderful to be uh, living in nature. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. It's, you know, basically what you just painted is the complete opposite of what I lived in here in Los Angeles. And I can't imagine, um, just being surrounded by such fresh air and beautiful rolling hills and animals. And it really just sounds incredible. Um, have you, have you lived in the country your whole life or did you find that in adulthood? I have. I was raised on a rural Kentucky farm, very typical Kentucky farm. We had uh, thoroughbred horses, uh, cattle, and tobacco. And so that was some years ago. And so I did leave the farm and I went to college in Cincinnati. And I lived in Cincinnati when I was in college. And that was very hard for me. Uh, I, I, the first few weeks I was there, I felt like I couldn't sleep at all because it was so noisy. Mm. And, um, you know, there were cars and, and just sounds all night long that I wasn't used to. I was used to everything, you know, becoming quiet and you would hear insects or, you know, frogs or the horses or the cows might be outside, you know, making sounds. But, um, you know, you didn't hear you know, people voices so much or so that that's one of my early memories of college is that I couldn't sleep because I would wake up so worried because it was so noisy. <laughs> I can completely relate to that. I had, so I grew up in the country in Indiana and when I was little, we would go to visit my grandparents' houses and I had one grandparent, one set of grandparents who lived on a farm and I had one set of grandparents who lived in just outside of Chicago in the city. And I still remember laying in bed at night hearing the sirens and and being scared you know and, and, and being so uncomfortable and it was such a stark contrast to in in the my family who lived there it didn't phase them even my mom she wasn't phased because she had grown up with it but for us for the children you know we were like oh my gosh what's happening it's so scary and then it's amazing now I I don't even flinch anymore when I hear the sirens it's so quiet so common, you know, it's crazy. Um, so Amy and I, we met in a, um, what's called a Tailwind Tribe, which is a scheduling tool for Pinterest. And we met a few months ago um, because this tribe that uh, Amy has is called Wildlife Rehabilitation. And so, of course, I jumped in there, even though I don't know much about wildlife rehabilitation, but I really, really want to learn. And um, being a part of that group, I've already started learning from Amy through everything that she shares. And for anyone who's listening, um, a Tailwind Tribe is basically like this small group of people who share um, like-minded content with each other, different things that um, all fund fall under that umbrella of wildlife rehabilitation. So if you're listening and you would have any interest in joining in that tribe, please get a hold of us, um, either one of us after the meeting and or after today's episode, and we'll pull you, um, push you in the right direction, pull you, push you in the right direction. <laughs> we'll bring you in. We'll get you in our tribe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Um, so today, Amy, I, I want to first talk about all the things that we're not talking about today because I think that <laughs> you are just such a wealth of information mm -hmm. and um, because of time, we're not talking about all of these things today, but I do want to send people over to your website um, or to connect with you to learn about some of these other subjects. So you teach about alternative energy and living off the grid. You teach about sustainable agriculture. Um, you also teach people how to grow a medicinal herb garden. I think <laughs> all of these things just sound um, so romantic to me, just like the life that you kind of painted that you live in the rolling hills of Kentucky. And I want so badly to talk about all of them, but um, so we're, we're going to narrow in today and focus on wildlife rescue, um, specifically what to do when we see an animal in need or an animal that we think is in need um, or maybe an animal that scares us. And so we're going to narrow our conversation in on that today. Um, I was thinking, Amy, can you start off this part of our conversation with your simple idea for how listeners can help animals and the environment? My one simple idea is having compassion when you see wildlife in your yard. And I understand that might, you know, kind of seem simplistic, but often we don't, you know, respect the animal's place in the world and their right to be there. So for instance, if you have raccoons getting in your trash can, you may not feel very compassionate. So my simple idea is just to kind of step back and, you know, to have compassion for that animal and also to just be aware because that animal may be in your yard because it's injured or it's sick and it's actually feeling, you know, very uh, stressful and, and hurt and it's seeking some help. And so, you know, in that situation, um, you know, feel compassion and locate a wildlife rehabilitator uh, that can, you know, help you to determine, uh, you know, if anything is wrong with the animal and uh, what steps need to be taken to help it. I love that you're sharing that and starting from a place of saying the word compassion, because I think that, I feel like I've been learning in my life that my decisions come out a little bit different when I start from just being like, okay, stop, take a breath, like compassion. Um, to your point, I feel like most wildlife, they don't want to be near us. So I, I, it, it does seem like a really good point to think like, is there anything wrong or why, what's even bringing this animal into my yard, right? Um, right. You mentioned contacting wildlife rehabilitators. Do you, can you tell us how we can figure that out? Because I think there's, there are different people to contact. And I think based on who we contact, we might have a different outcome with how that animal is treated. Um, are you able to give us some resources of where we could start to look for help if we do find an animal in our backyard? 
Yes. So there's a great uh, national uh, United States resource, and it is called Animal Help Now. And Animal Help Now has an app. You can use it on your desktop. You can use it on your phone. And basically, what you do is you plug in your zip code, and it will tell you licensed wildlife rehabilitators, you know, who are near your area. And you can even get, you know, more specific on it and tell the app, you know, what the animal is and some different information. Uh, but it will bring up people uh, that are closest um, to you. And so it's ahnow.org. And um, and then, you know, you contact a licensed wildlife rehabilitator and tell them the problem and they will help, um, you know, to figure out what the issue is. They might ask you to, you know, send a picture if you can, because obviously sometimes it's hard to kind of, uh, you know, diagnose things uh, on a telephone, but, uh, you know, just you know, follow follow their directions, and they'll kind of uh, you know help you to resolve uh, you know whatever the uh, problem with is with the animal or the conflict you're having. So you can also you know call the state fish and wildlife department. Um, you know, for whatever state you are in, um, often they. Uh, do have a listing of wildlife rehabilitators um, that they can give you a name and number. Okay, so it sounds like a key word here is wildlife rehabilitators. Um, and and so if you're looking, you know, if we're looking, we want to specifically look for someone who is a wildlife rehabilitator. Um, Yes, is that right? Because okay. a wildlife rehabilitator, all states vary a little bit on their requirements, but every state, the wildlife rehabilitators license um, people take a class, and and in some states they might take more classes. They will work with a professional, a person that's been a licensed wildlife rehabilitator. And so these are people that have been trained on, on what to do. And they're also going to be, you know, especially if you use like the, um, you know, you're finding someone close to you, use the Animal Help Now app. That person is going to be clued in to what kind of issues there are in your area. For instance, um, where I'm in North Central Kentucky, we have distemper is very, very widespread among, uh, you know, raccoons and skunks in my area. And so, you know, that's something I recognize very easily when people call me and describe, you know, the situation that the animal is acting friendly, but it's not walking very well. And uh, so, you know, I can easily, uh, you know, know that that is distemper. And so that's, you know, wherever your listeners are, is, are going to be unique uh, 
you know, situations with animals that they are going to be familiar with and, you know, prepared to help you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually, that, that, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And this app sounds absolutely incredible. Um, I hope that everyone who's listening is downloading it onto your phone right now. I feel like I should like pause this and say, download this right now. <laughs> Um, I mean, what an incredible resource. Is it pretty new or has it been around for a while? No, it has actually been around for a while. And I don't know all the history, although in full disclosure, I am the co-social uh, media person. Mm. So another woman and I uh, handle the so- social media for Animal Help Now. Uh, I do the Twitter, Twitter and Pinterest. Um, parts. But so Animal Help Now started uh, with doing a lot of domestic um, animals. Mm -hmm. And it is, it started in Colorado, and just slowly began to spread uh, till um, now the, you know, app is is nationwide, and it's the most used I don't know how you would say that app or program uh, used in wildlife rehabilitation to locate uh, wildlife rehabbers because it's not always easy um, to find um, a wildlife rehabilitator. And there might be someone just a few miles from you, but it's just not, um, I don't know, it's just not something that's so public, you know, Mm -hmm. they're working on doing these rescues, but often don't have, um, you know, say a major uh, website presence or social media presence. And so um, it can be harder to find them in these traditional methods that we're used to finding people in. Mm, For sure. I mean, I think you're all located at the end of a dirt gravel road. (laughs) That's a dead end out in the middle of the country. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, what a, what an incredible resource. Um, I'm really excited that, that you've shared that. And, um, because I personally will say that I find myself every time I see an animal and it's, you know, you, you kind of look at each other like, Oh, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. Like, how do we (laughs) remedy this situation? And, um, I so often feel helpless, you know, like I, I want to help, I want to do something, but I I don't know what to do. And there's that pressure of this like split moment um, decision. So for me, at least knowing like, oh, I can turn to this app and immediately go into the app and immediately look for help. um, I just, for me personally, I think that's an incredible tool. So um, yeah, I'm excited that you've shared it. Um, I wonder if we can go through, uh, some different scenarios of just different animals, maybe that I've, I've kind of run into in my life or I know are pretty common. And if you could share with us kind of like what, what we should do, what, what would you say we do? Um, if we, if we're in these scenarios, does that sound? Okay. That sounds great. Okay. Okay. Great. I have five of them. (laughs) <laughs> that okay. So the first one is when we see a turtle in the road, 
what should we do? So the first thing you should do is if you're in a car is to, when you have a safe opportunity to pull over and then, you know, obviously being careful of any traffic, um, pick the turtle up and move the turtle in the direction they are going. And that's very important because turtles are stubborn. And if you say, oh, that doesn't look so good over there, I'm going to put you over here, the turtle is just going to turn around and go back. There's, there's, a, there's a reason that they're going in the direction they're going. Okay. And so um, the other thing I want to add to that is to not pick the turtle up and say, oh my gosh, what are you doing in, you know, this su suburb or this mm -hmm. is the city, you shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. So don't put the turtle in your car and say, hey, <laughs> I'm taking you to grandma's farm. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's 10 miles away mm -hmm. and it's so much better. You'll love it there. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is the turtle won't love it there. And I have a article on my website about this homing sense that turtles have that goes into a lot more detail. But the basic thing that you need to know is that the turtle is always going to try to get home. And in its attempts to try to get home, it can die. Mm -hmm. Turtles have a very strong sense of where they were born and they never leave that area. So if you picture two football fields next to each other, that's about the size of many turtles' range, such as uh, box turtles and other land um, turtles. That's about the size of their range. If you're looking at something like a slider that lives in a pond, you know, that pond and, you know, just a small area around it is their range. Okay. So, so we don't want to basically, it would be like, um, you know, little Amy, the country girl going to Cincinnati to go to college <laughs> and being totally out of her element. And so, um, you know, we want to just help the turtle get across the road to safety because often these turtles, you know, they're old. They could be 50, 70 years old, and their territory looks a lot different now. Mm. You know, there weren't as many roads, the cars weren't as fast, and so unfortunately, they don't have a, a you know, a lot of, of safety sense when it comes to the road. Mm. So we just want to pick them up, take them to the other side of the road, say, you know, you have a great day, turtle, and, um, you know, and know that we did a good deed and, and go on our way. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, what, yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out, because I think, um, at least me, and I think a lot of times as humans, we think, oh, there's these beautiful little ponds I can put you at, and you'll be so happy, and you don't have to worry about all this traffic on these roads, and I think, um, yeah, I can see, I can definitely see um, how it would be maybe human instinct to to try to pick them up and move them someplace that seems safer. 
Right. And going back to that compassion, um, you know, we're showing compassion. We're thinking, oh, I can help you. I can get you to a better location. But we just need to kind of step back and think about the turtles, um, you know, idea of the best location. And, you know, that's just wherever it is right across the road. Mm. So. Uh, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, how, in terms of picking a turtle up, um, should we be, should we like keep gloves in the car? Um, how, what's the best way to to pick a turtle up? And do we need to be worried about anything when we're picking a turtle up? We, I actually recommend that people keep a kit in their car, a wildlife uh, rescue kind of kit. Okay. And um, maybe we can put a link to that in your uh, notes. Mm -hmm. If it's a smaller turtle, um, like a box turtle, then, you know, just go ahead and keeping your hands obviously not in front of its face because any turtle can bite. Okay. Um, But just kind of putting your hands around that turtle's waist, lifting them up and moving them, and then um, perelling your hands uh, because they have been on the earth and you just want to, you know, wash your hands afterwards. Okay. Now, I don't know, do they have snapping turtles in California? I don't know, but I have certainly heard of snapping turtles, and I don't know that I would know how to tell one apart from a box turtle. Uh, Well, a snapping turtle, once you've seen one, you would know it's not a box turtle. They are much longer. They have a much more pronounced beak, which is... uh, the you know nose and the mouth part okay um and they have a shell that's um where a box turtle's shell is kind of smooth and a nice little dome mm-hmm. the the common alligator snapping turtle has ridges and then an endangered alligator snapping turtle has almost like little mountains on on its shell uh, okay and it a very kind of serrated uh shell okay and in snapping turtles uh are all through the eastern part of the country and the alligator snapping turtle is along the mississippi river and okay. states along that mississippi river and i'm honestly not sure about how you know, if they're in the Western United States, Mm -hmm. but because this is a turtle that is a little bit more aggressive and has actually a very long neck, Mm -hmm. you want to pick up their shell on either side of their tail. We never ever pick up a turtle by the tail because their tail is attached to their spine. Okay. And Mm -hmm. that can cause the turtle injury if we pick it up. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't want to give it a spinal injury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But I actually have a video. Yeah, I have a video on one of my turtle blogs about a man demonstrating moving a snapping turtle. And one of the really clever things uh, that um, they do in this video is they take the car mat out of you know, the car where we put our feet. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And they slide the turtle 
onto the car mat and then they slide the car mat across the road. So you're not, you don't just want to pull a larger turtle across the pavement. That would hurt. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so they slide the turtle on, you know, from the back of the shell, not near its mouth, onto this car mat and then pull the car mat across the road. And okay. so that the turtle is out of the road. Huh. Okay. Nice. There's lots of good links here. So everything that you're talking about, just so that listeners know, I will link to all of this in the show notes, because I think there's a lot of great follow-ups here that we can all go find on your blog. Um, let's move on to the second scenario, which is when we see a stray cat. So, I mean, that I think is common no matter where you live. Um, what should we do when we see a cat that clearly doesn't have a home? I think a lot depends on your local programs. So in my area, we actually have been very fortunate enough to have someone who left an endowment for a group that if you can trap a feral cat and bring it to their clinic, they... Um, neuter the cat, give it uh, vaccinations, treat anything that's wrong, and then the cat is then uh, released again. Okay. Um, it It is hard because cats that are outside um, will often hunt wildlife. Mm. So many of the bird groups and Autobahn um, really push for people to keep their cats inside or to have, you know, those catios, so outside kind of uh, play areas for their cats. Okay. However, we often have large populations, you know, of cats that don't have homes mm -hmm. or you know, cats that have been very sadly abandoned. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think the best thing is to get in touch with your local humane society mm -hmm. and um, ask them, you know, what policies, uh, you know, the, there are locally and, and where can you get help, you know, for a stray cat. There's also uh, rescue groups that help place cats. Unfortunately, I think that, um, you know, the domestic cat is one of the hardest animals for, you know, humane groups to place. Mm -hmm. And that's just because there are so many. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, um, you know, some of that depends on on your, you know, location. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, what do you think about giving them food or milk uh, or things like that? Is it a good idea? Not a good idea? I, I think yes. Um, you know, all animals deserve a chance. And if the, if there's an overpopulated you know, there's a cat population uh, that's high and the cats are, 
thin and not having enough to eat, you know, it's not that particular cat's problem mm-hmm. or fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, food, yes. Um, milk, adult cats really should not have milk. Okay. You know, milk or formula is a baby thing. And I'm not even sure how that kind of started, how we started <laughs> thinking about, you know, cats with uh, milk. I'm, um, but, uh, you know, milk is not a, a necessary for, um, you know, adult animals. Hmm. And, you know, on the, on the kind of wording of milk, mm-hmm. um, you know, we should never give milk as in cow's milk Mm -hmm. to any animal that's Mm. not a cow. Okay. That's good to know. um, You know, cow's milk is made for baby cows. It has very large uh, fat globules and those can be very hard to digest for other animals. That's why human beings have, you know, milk allergies Mm -hmm. and we don't, we don't often think of it, but, uh, other species of animals can have allergies to cow's milk. Mm. And so if you have a baby, a kitten, mm-hmm. you know, then you would want to go with kitten formula, okay. not, you know, just milk that you would go to, you know, the store and, and buy. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's really good to know. I I um I don't think I ever knew that. You know, like you said, we kind of have this like idyllic picture of a cat with a warm bowl of milk being all cozy yeah. and it's not we at all do. true. <laughs> so that is really really good to know. So that wraps this part one of the interview. Amy and I talked about so many different animals throughout our conversation that I wanted to divide this up so none of the animals were lost in the length of our episode. So you'll find part two in episode 17. And thank you so much for tuning in today. If you listen on Apple and you've already left a review, thank you so, so much. The ratings and reviews are really helping us grow and reach more people. And if you're up for it, tell a friend today about the podcast. The more we grow, the more people I can find to interview and the bigger difference we can make together. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your support. Stay tuned for part two in episode 17. Bye.